Hey church, are you ready for the Word of God? Giant slayers, it is all happening. This morning is especially special for me, and I believe it'll be special for you, is because we've got a special minister among us. And some of you know Pastor Dr. Tim Hall. If you don't know, uh, Pastor Tim Hall is an incredible evangelist. He's planted churches, he's pastored churches, He's traveled to, I think, around 82 countries around the world, spoken to 30, 40,000 people in one meeting. He's seen pretty much every miracle under the sun. He's seen people come out of wheelchair. He's seen deaf ears open. He's seen blind eyes open. He's seen the dead raised. I mean, this man is an incredible living legend in the 21st century. Uh, we had him in our church almost a year ago. And can I just say, it was literally such a moment in the life of our church. And, and for me, it was not just the moments that he had on the platform, but it was also a moment that he had in our office. I remember there was one of the nights as he was ministering where, where we were in, in, the, in my office and he had my daughter Elise in his lap. He had another child in his lap and he was playing games with all these kids, like this big, incredible grandfather just loving on our kids. And I just, I just saw that moment. It was like, here is a man who's spoken to thousands, who's spoken to kings and queens, but yet having that childlike faith, that, that love of God the Father. Can I just say to you, this man is a genuine man of God. He is the same on the platform and he's the same when I'm having sushi with him at some beatdown restaurant in Melbourne. I want you to get ready, get positioned as he brings a word and a ministry that I believe is going to change, transform and impact you in a powerful way. Pastor Elman, Leah, my wonderful little friend Elise, and of course beautiful Nora. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys there at Downpour Church. I love being with you physically, and today I'm with you electronically, but I feel something of the Holy Ghost to share. I know I've got a message from God today. It's been stirring my heart as I've been preparing it. But uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to significantly touch you today to break some chains, to set some people free, and to see some miraculous stuff occur today for the glory of God. Father, I ask you for a very powerful touch of your anointing right now as I share. I pray that not one word will drop to the ground, but everything is going to be powerful and strong for your glory. Touch every person listening now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a lot of books here, and I'm sitting down in my house. I'm not in a pulpit. I'm sitting down at home. But I've just got a book here, and I use these as my study books. They are nice Mont Blanc books. My kids give them to me for Christmas. They're a bit expensive, but I keep them. The little Mont Blanc thing on them. And um, this was a study, these are day studies, and uh, this was a study that I did a while back. I haven't preached it, it was just, uh, it's taking stuff from the book that I wrote a couple of years ago, and I guess some of you have seen the book, I've got so much stuff here, but you may have looked at our book on Giant Killers, which has been very successful, it's gone far and wide, we've sold, I don't know, well over 10,000, some have put said many, many as 14,000 of them we sold over a lot of years now. Uh, as we were traveling, they were selling in a big way. But um, I want to share some thoughts from it on giant killing. Father, just a strong anointing right now. Um, I wrote something here, and just a little thing. 
and it said, you will face giants in 2020. I went, wow, wow, we will face giants in 2020. Man, have we faced any giants in 2020? Well, the Bible actually speaks much about giants. It's also interesting that archaeology around the world has proved that there have been giants on every continent. When they found the tomb of Tutankhamun, um, the famous mummy the, the, uh, who's a pharaoh in Egypt, and when they opened up that tomb that was so full of treasures, they found a bed with a bodyguard that was about 12 feet long, maybe bigger, with this uh, body, uh, what was left of it, of this bodyguard who must have been a giant 10 or 12 feet in height, just a massive man, one of the bodyguards who was buried there with him. And so uh, when we find the American Indians talk about, the Pawnee Indians talked about giants so big that they could run alongside a buffalo or a bison and pick it up under their arm as they ran. And these bones have been discovered around the world. In Australia, they've been found. And so there is a, a big fossil record of giants across the earth. And certainly in the scriptures, we know that there are a number of giant killers. The first one was Moses, 80 years of age, confronted a giant king called Og of Bashan. And Og of Bashan had a bed that was 14 feet long. That is a big bed. Our bed, we've got a king-size bed here in our apartment, which is probably seven feet long, I would imagine. His is 14. That's uh, a massive bed for a massive man. And Moses, well, he was 80 when he, when he took the children of Israel out. And uh, so he took them out when he was 80. And they'd been traveling for 40 years. And so it was probably prior to the full 40 years, but certainly um, well in his hundreds, he has killed this giant over 100 years of age when they had that victory. And then Caleb, of course, and Joshua, both were giant killers in their 80s and 90s. Caleb was 85 years of age. We'll look in a couple of minutes when he said, give me this mountain. He said, I'm as strong today at 85, my birthday today. And I'm as strong today as I was at 40 to go in and to go out and to make war. Give me this mountain. The mountain he wanted was filled with giants. It was there in Canaan. It was the mountain that had belonged to the patriarchs. It was the mountain where Abraham was buried, where patriarchs were buried. It was purchased by Abraham all that length of time back. And now it was controlled by giants under Abba, who was the chief giant of that re region, and his sons. They, their names were Sheshai, Aman, and Talmai. And uh, then, of course, we know that he went in and took that and they destroyed those giants and took down their fortress cities and brought them down. And Joshua and his forces slaughtered all the Anakim giants from Hebron, Debir, Anab, and the mountains of Judah and Israel and simply left a, rev a remnant in Gaza, um, Gath, and, of course, that's where Goliath would come from and his brothers, and um, also Ashdod significant places there. Interesting today that the Palestinians still own that strip of land that was the giants and out of there there's rockets and missiles and all sorts of uh, stuff being thrown at Israel out of the land of the giants that uh, today that's where um, Hezbollah or Hamas uh, are centred 
and uh, they are constantly causing problems out of that area. Well, we know that, that uh, uh, David rose up. David's a teenage boy, a freckle-faced, red-headed boy who went out against the giant uh, Goliath. And Goliath was probably around about nine and a half feet, according to what we read. And out went this shepherd boy, a young shepherd boy, taking his sling to confront this giant who was a warrior from his youth. And the Bible says that the giant came to David and he said, Who am I? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and stones? But David said, Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you might taunt the armies of the living God? This day God has given you into my hands and I'm going to kill you and your army's going to get killed. The birds of air are going to come and eat their carcasses. David said, This day God has given you into my hand. He didn't see Goliath as coming to kill him, he saw Goliath as a gift from God. And he turned out to be exactly that. David brought him down with a stone right in the middle of his head. And David went over to the body close to death, stepped up onto the corpse, pulled his own sword out and hacked off the head of the giant. And David's step from the ground onto that giant was a step from obscurity as a shepherd boy to the king of the great kingdom of the earth. And uh, so David rose up and the giant he slew was a stepping stone into a new place of authority, a new place of power, a new place of dominion. And every giant that comes against you, my friend, is a gift. Don't see that giant as coming to kill you. See that giant as a gift from God that as you bring that giant down, that giant is going to be a stepping stone for you to rise into a new place of authority, a new place of strength, a new place of triumph in your spirit, a new place of power, a new place of success in your business, a new understanding and so on. It's a stepping stone. Now I look at these giant killers and we can go on from there. We find David's mighty men took out um, Ishbibanob, one of the inhabitants of the city of Nob. Um, Saf, another one. And there was another one called Jarorigim and so on. And then there was the six-fingered one. And those that they've dug up, those the, in paleontology as they found the giants, found that they, they have six fingers and six toes. And that's been a common thing all over the world. And here it is recorded in the scriptures. And you can read that in 2 Samuel 21. You can read about David's mighty men who went in and slew those giants and uh, cleared the deck. And so here we have these giant killers. And here's an interesting thing. None of the giants at any stage laid a hand or a weapon on the men of God. I don't know if women fought them as well, but I do know as I read my Bible, not one of the men of God who confronted the giants had so much as a fingernail laid on them. In fact, the only weapons of the giants that were ever used were used back on them. Goliath's sword chopped his own head off. Benaiah, who took the spear the size of a weaver's beam out of a giant Egyptian about 10 feet and drove it back into the giant. The giant died by his own spear. None of these terrifying implements of these giant men ever touched one of these children of God, Goliath, like all the other giants, came to intimidate. What do giants come to do? What's, what's their aim? What do, they, what do they actually do? They come to immobilize. 
They certainly did that with the army of Israel. They came to inject fear. The devil sends his giants to inflict fear to discourage, take courage away from people. The giant comes to strip away self-esteem. The giant comes to nullify purpose. The giant comes to dampen vision, to halt progress. He comes to make circumstances seem bigger than God. The giants you face raise up to try to make God look small and the circumstance look big. They come to inhibit, to block out dreams, to cause double-mindedness. They're full of intimidation. What do giants do? What do they do in our lives? What, they, they try to make people feel like grasshoppers instead of killers, giant killers. They try to reduce people to feeling like a grasshopper. They come in many forms, and I jotted some in my book here, and I'll just read some of these out. Some of the giants that you may face, and here's some. Injustice. I've been there, giants of injustice raised up against you that seem no, to have no reason. They just come against you. Giants of intimidation, maybe at school, people against kids at school. When I was at school, I, I was intimidated, not often at school. I could handle myself fairly well at school. But I must admit, on two occasions, I did confront a couple of things there was a very big guy when I was in first or second year. He was, he was a, a giant of a man and we were just kids and I had a 38 revolver put against my head at school. I found that intimidating and the same guy held me over a wall and down below were rose bushes and he held me by the legs over a wall. I'd have to say on both of those occasions I was fairly intimidated but I did have a friend at school who was six foot six and was an incredible fighter. And um, in the early stages at school, we overcame intimidation by um, the laying on of hands and uh, then we didn't have any problems. But I have faced intimidation. Some people face the intimidation of the fear of death, failure, family loss, phobias, sickness, disease. Depression, despair, weight problems. Let's not go there. Let's not go there at all. <clears throat> Diets, weight loss. Uh, we'll jump over that really quickly. I don't know about you. I hate, I'd hate to be fat. <clears throat> I'm a bit fat. Weight's a challenge, isn't it? Some of you know what I mean. It's a challenge. You walk past a fish and chip shop and you put on about 10 pound or... You know, you take a deep breath. Someone's eating a, um, I don't know, McDonald's, and you just take a deep breath. You put a pound on. That's terrible. Maybe the threat of, of debt, the giant of debt. Maybe circumstance have put you into debt with your credit card. Shame, stuff that's happened in the past, and the devil reminds you of it. The giant of those past experiences keep coming to you. So you're no good. Look what you did. A giant that keeps coming, reminding you of circumstances. Well, face, look the giant in the eye, just like David, and say, you're going down. You've got no place in my life. Disappointments, addictions, betrayals, financial barriers, 
political roadblocks, governments, councils, stopping your building, stopping you doing this, stopping you doing that, persecution, self-doubt, insecurities, etc., etc., divorce, rejection. They're all giants. The fear of rejection is a giant. They keep coming. What do you do? What do you do with the giants you face? What do you do with them? Well, we've got great examples in the Bible. And I, I, I don't think there's any better examples in the Bible of overcoming intimidation than Caleb and Joshua, particularly Caleb. I love Caleb. Just the name Caleb means wild dog. And uh, I want to look, let's go back in our Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 13. And you can look at this in your own time, but we know the story that the children of Israel, every tribe was asked to give one man. And he was a man of renown, a strong man, a ruler. In effect, each of these men were rulers. They were leaders. They were leaders of groups. They were like pastors to stand up. Men of courage, men of leadership, one from each tribe. And they were sent in from Kadesh Barnea by Moses. They went into the promised land when they went into the promised land, they came back. Twelve of them came back. They had searched the land. They'd been through the land. And they came back and they were amazed. They were absolutely amazed. They came back and they said, it is phenomenal. They came back carrying bunches of grapes, clusters of grapes that were so big that it took two men to carry them on sticks on their shoulders. They were so big, clusters of grapes. They said, it's a land flowing in milk and honey. It is incredible. It is absolutely superb land. And they came back and they said, everything about it is incredible. However, nevertheless, there were giants there, mighty men, men of Anak, Amalekites are there, Hittites are there, Jebusites, the polluters of the holy things, the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites by the sea. There's enemies there. There's giants there. And the Bible says Caleb stilled the people. Quiet. He said, everyone listen. Let us go up at once. Let us go up right now and take this land. Let's go and take it. It's waiting for us. It's ready for us. And let's go in right now. We are able to overcome it. But the others said, we're not able to go up there. They're stronger than we are. And they brought an evil report. My Bible says anything that's not faith is sin. And the Bible says this place eats up inhabitants, all the people, anyone that's there. They're a huge statue. We saw giants. Verse 33 of chapter 13, we saw giants there. Sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were, listen to this, in our own sight, we were as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. If we see ourselves as grasshoppers, the devil will see us the same. If we have that sense that we're nothing, the devil will see us exactly like that. If you see yourself defeated, he'll see you defeated. The giant will see you defeated. The circumstance will see you defeated. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Caleb said, I'm ready to go up there. 
Scripture tells us here in Numbers, again, this is chapter 14, concerning Caleb. It says, uh, Caleb said this, my servant, God speaking of Caleb, the wild dog, he says, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, a different spirit, a sense of triumph, a sense of passion, a sense of invincibility, a sense that nothing could stop him. The scripture says, because he had another spirit and has fully followed me, then I will bring him into the land and his seed shall possess it. My friend, what's our key? What do we learn from this? What, what do we get out of this? What, what do we pick up in terms of attitude? Listen to this. This is, again, this is our friend Caleb. And it's now over in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. And he's standing there and they are distributing the land and saying, you guys can go and take that part. You guys can go and take that part. This is 40 years later when a whole generation that says we can't died in the wilderness. The attitude that says we can't, we are grasshoppers, people die in a wilderness. It's an attitude that takes you into a wilderness. It's an attitude that sees people come to the end of their life with nothing but regret. And now 40 years later, the scripture says this, now they're standing there together and there's a body of people that have risen up that said, we can and we will. Are we grasshoppers or are we giant killers? My friend, are you a grasshopper or a giant killer? And Caleb stands up before the people and he says, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again and it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. And he said these 40 and five years, it's 45 years now, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And today I am fourscore and five years old. That is 85 years of age. He said, I'm 85 today. And he says, but I'm as strong as I was at 40 to go in, to go out. I'm strong to go and make war. I'm, I'm powerful. I want this mountain. It's got giants in it. I'm 85. I'm ready to go up into that mountain and take the giants out. He said, I was ready at 40, but now at 85, I'm just as ready. I'm as strong as I was then. I'm ready to go in. You see, the, the, the vision that was in his heart, the passion that was in his heart was stronger than anything the giants could snuff out. The vision he'd seen of the promised land and the purpose of God and the thing that God had for him was so big that it snuffed out any thought that giants could stop that. What are you dreaming, my friend? Giants will try and stop you, try to talk you out of it, try to oppose you. But that dream you have, that dream that is deep down in your belly, that dream that is down deep in your spirit, that vision that's burning, 
will cause you to stand up to any giant and say, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine that stands in my way? This day God has given you to me and I'll bring you down. I'll step up on you. I'll go up into another level. I'll go up into another place with God. I'll have the victory in Jesus' name. And so here was this attitude, an attitude of triumph and an attitude of victory. I uh, always think about, and I think I've shared it with you before, my great uncle. In World War I, my great uncle took his horses from Rochester, Victoria on his farm. And he took two big New South Wales whalers, they call them whalers, over with him on the ship to Egypt. He was a buck private. He joined the army. He was a private with his horses. They left the horses in Egypt and they headed across to a peninsula in Turkey called the Gallipoli Peninsula. And there these horsemen, without their horses, were landed there on the peninsula of Gallipoli. And they fought the Turks there. There the, some of the light horsemen were slaughtered at a place called the Neck. Their bodies rotted there, pile upon pile, bones locked together, not even buried for several years, wiped out there on the in that distant land. My, uncle, my great uncle was wounded. His name was George James Rankin. He was my grandmother's brother. He was wounded. And then he went to the Middle East. He went back to Palestine. They were near the Suez Canal. And they would confront many of the same Turks that they had fought there. And so here he was now, and he had risen from, in six months from a buck private and now he was a major. He must have been an incredible man in battle. He must have had something ferocious in battle because now he was a major. He was second in command of the 4th Light Horse Division, most some of the most famous soldiers in Australian history. And they drove the Turks across the Sinai Peninsula. They pushed them back from Suez and Roma, Roman, where they thought they would have victory. They drove them back. They wound up pushing the Turks right across the Sinai until they came to this defensive line from Gaza to Beersheba, this strong line of fortification to keep them out. And the 50,000 British troops were unable to penetrate the line until finally the decision was made to take on this weak point, what seemed like a weak point where the water was, the wells were at Beersheba. And we know that the Late in the day, they had not been able to break through with cannon fire. There were 5,000 Turks embedded in there with artillery, with uh, trenches and everything else, and they were holding strong. Late in the day, 800 Australian horsemen lined up and charged. My great-uncle was second in command. They charged over a mile and a half of land and finally leapt over the trenches. They lost about 32 or 34 men in that charge. They ran so fast, the horses galloped so fast with the smell of water. They hadn't drunk for two days or more. And as they charged across there, the shells whistled overhead and their, 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 their artillery were too high. And they charged across and they leapt over those trenches and they took that place in a very short space of time. And my great uncle 
received the Distinguished Service Order, which is one down from the, um, the Victoria Cross. And he then lent the fourth light horse, led them in the taking of Damascus and ultimately to the city of Jerusalem. And I look at the story and uh, he got a second Distinguished Service Order for a charge, a full frontal charge, taking 11,000 prisoners and field guns. And my great uncle uh, went on to uh, have two mentions in dispatches for two more DSOs, came back and was promoted to Major General George James Rankin. And all I could think of, of my great uncle is that somewhere deep down, some of his blood and the bloodline flows in my veins and I want to have that audacity to charge into the face of whatever's coming, to stand up and say, no giant we confront is too big. No challenge is too great. Nothing can stop us in the day of battle. We are born to win, born to rule, and born to reign by one Christ Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity right now to come to know Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, as your Lord and Saviour. Pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, today you are King in my life. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in to change me, to make me new. I give you my life today. I receive you as my Lord, my Saviour and my King. Change me. Fill me, Lord, with your presence and your power. Cleanse me of every sin by your precious blood. And Lord, stir me up for righteousness. Give me great strength. Let me stand up against the giants that would come against me. I give my life to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Amen. Now I want to do something with you. I'm sure your pastor will talk to you now. Pastor Alwyn will have a chat with you. But I would like to pray right now for people facing giants. You might, have, you might be facing giants of intimidation. It might be at school. You may be in your university. Maybe as you're trying to stand up for your faith, you're coming up against all sorts of opposition, persecution, injustice. You may have situations legally confronting you. I feel that today. Someone's facing legal situations. Something in relation to family, something in relation to your children, something that the government needs to take from you, to take away that is resisting and holding you back from certain things that are your rightful, uh, yours rightfully. Pain, sickness, disease, fear, phobias, nightmares, they're all giants. I want you to put your hand on your heart or on the sick part of your body. And we're going to pray together right now that giants would break off your life, that sickness would go, that disease would go, that devils of, of, of intimidation, infections, every other foul thing out of hell is going to break off you right now. Father, I come in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, the son of the living God, and I command in Jesus' name, right at this moment, that giants will come down. 
disease, go. Pain, go out of people's body right now as I pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for authority, dominion, strength, and power. Touch us now, we pray. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Start to move that sick part, my friend. Go out this week. Face every giant that comes against you in Jesus' name. Like David, tell the giant, God's given you into my hands today and I'm bringing you down. Thank you so much, Pastor Alwyn. Thank you, everybody. God bless you and I can't wait to see you all live.